0: Turn with me to the scripture, to the book of Luke, chapter fifteen. We were talking about this a little bit Thursday night, and I really felt uh, led of the Lord to go ahead and, and preach the sermon this week on the prodigal. Um, and 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 I hope, you know, my my prayer is I was almost I was half tempted to to wait and preach this message after I told you. Uh, to bring in the prodigals. Um, But I really feel like after prayer, prayerful deliberation, that the Lord has led me to preach this to our church this morning for the purpose of igniting our faith to believe for our prodigals. Somebody say amen. How many of y'all believe in God for a prodigal right now? All right. I want, this word is for you in this house this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse number 11. I'm reading out of the King James just because it's what's here in my on the pulpit. It says, and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided them His living, his livelihood. I'm going to actually go to the screen. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted all of his possessions on prodigal living. But when he had spent everything, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods, the food, that the swine ate and yet no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, everybody say he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but just make me one of your hired slaves. And he arose and he came to his father but when, the, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger. And sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here. And kill it. And let us eat and be merry. And verse 24 says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and now he's found. And they began to be merry. Father, I ask that you would anoint your word today. You've already anointed your word. So Lord, I just pray that you would anoint me as your vessel. In this hour, God, to speak revelation to your people, to speak a word of encouragement to your people, God. Lord, to give us hope of a future, God, for our prodigals to come back to you. There may be prodigals even in the house this morning, running, God, having run away from you. They find themselves in a position, Lord, where they are in want, in need, and you are just the father to bring them in. Lord, I ask that you would anoint the word this morning to the heart of the believer. God, that my words, as it were, would penetrate through their ears and find a pathway to their heart, and it would prick the heart of the believer. God, that they would bring about change. That we said last week, God, that you are the Lord of the breakthrough, that your word would break through. Lord, break through every situation, break through every hurt, break through every scar break through every need and be there to meet us God. We thank you and give you honor in Jesus name and the church said amen. amen. And amen. Go back to verse 11 brother Daniel if you will. I want to read just we're going to we're going to go through this uh scripture a little bit at a time. We'll go this morning and it says kids can be dismissed. Amen. Oh, brother Daniel became sister Mallory in an instant. Praise God. Instant in season. Praise God. And then he said, A certain man had two sons. I'm sorry, verse number 12. Allah 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portions that fall to me. And so he divided him. His livelihood. I, the first thing that I want to recognize in this scripture, as we as we are breaking down this uh, the this series of scriptures, the first thing that I want to recognize is that this was the younger son. It's the it's the first really big piece of information that we have. Now, we know a man had two sons, and so the scripture says that in the very beginning. But then it labels out, it begins to define the two sons. It, they weren't twins, they were, they were one older than the other. And, and the Bible says that the younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that fall to me, And as I began to look at this, I begin to understand what it is that makes us prodigals in the first place. Sometimes we want to tell the story of the prodigal son returning, but we don't understand the mentality that took them to the place of the prodigal in the first place. We don't understand what drove them to be in the position that they are in. And oftentimes it begins with this younger son syndrome. You see, the younger son, he has no namesake. The younger son he has if if you if you're familiar with history now in this in these days in which we live excuse me the the younger children tend to be a little bit more spoiled than the older ones. Any younger kids in the house? That's not true. He says he says lies. Lies from the pulpit. I know this one is spoiled. In our modern day It seems like younger children, they, you know, mom and dad are able to maybe afford things that they weren't able to afford with the older kids, or maybe just that as the older kids grow up and develop and move on out, there's a little bit more budget room. And how many of y'all have ever seen maybe a, a you know a late child come in and you've got some adult siblings but a, but a, a smaller child or maybe an adopted child. And and I, I remember I've seen this time and time again. You know, you've got the you've got the young child and the, the other older siblings come in and they're saying, We didn't have it that good. Why you didn't do that for us. Why you know why, what's the change? What's going on? And that's the society that we live in today. But anytime You know a hundred years ago or more it it really it was not in your favor to be the younger child in any way It was matter of fact It wasn't your favor to be the daughter either for that matter because it didn't matter if you were the oldest or the youngest You were just the daughter Um, And and, and so uh, We find in this scripture though that this was the younger son He had no birthright He had no namesake And, and those of you who are familiar with the scripture you know the scripture of Esau and Jacob and how esau sold his birthright to his brother for a for a bowl of red meat soup or red bean soup whatever it was it was red something soup and you know it must have been a good recipe because he sold his birthright for it and um uh, but but, the whole purpose was because Jacob was trying to get something because he was the younger brother he was the he had younger brother' syndrome he said i 'm not worth anything i 'm not as worth as much as my brother but i 'm going to grab at his heels i 'm going to get what I can get by stealing it away, even if I have to steal it i 'll just take it i 'll bribe him for it i 'll get what I need because it was important to be the older son and the the younger son really didn 't have as much influence or matter in the world i mean the reality is that many of us end up in this younger son syndrome because we think that we don't matter in the world around us. This is really the root of the younger son idea and philosophy, is that the enemy would come in and tell you that there is no significance in your life. I don't know if anybody can ever testify to this. I can testify myself, pastor, will be his own uh, testimony this morning but I can tell you that there have been times in my life when the devil has swept in and said, you are insignificant. There's nothing about you that has value. You're not going to make an impact. You're not going to make an impression. You might as well just stop. Anybody ever been there? I've been there several times. The, the devil would tell you that you are insignificant you're secondary you're lesser you're 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 not good enough and this is the younger son mentality. This younger son, he saw that there was no future for him. He thought that there's no value in my future because my older brother is going to end up with everything. And those of you who are students of history, you will know that oftentimes when dad dies, if there is a feud between the family, and then the older son begins to become the the monarch or the patriarch of the family, and it might, your life may be even in danger if you are a younger sibling because you might be uh, in, in line for the heir if the older brother was to die then you would fall in line to be the heir and so they would off with you if you were the younger brother and the king came; a new king came into power and so this younger son he says I don't have any real worth where I'm at so I might as well go make it on my own. I might as well Go to the place, but I've come to tell you this morning that there is nothing secondary about you You need to hear me this morning. There's nothing secondary or lesser about your makeup It doesn't matter if god chose to birth you first in your person The progression of your family or second or fifth or if you're a girl or a boy He does not look to his sons any higher than he looks to his daughters That may have been a thing in history That's not a thing with God. I'm telling you this morning that God values you. He said in His Word that you are more precious than even the finest stones. You are made in the image and likeness of God Himself. And He said, I have fearfully and wonderfully created you. There's nothing insignificant about you, but the devil will get us to that place. That's the first step in the prodigal situation, is that the devil will begin to tell us, we're insignificant. But look what happens very next in the same verse. He says, Father, give me my portion. Give me what, is, what belongs to me. I think, I think it's funny that even the one who thought he was insignificant understood that he had something. Isn't that ironic that sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we get in the mully grubs and we are just beating down on ourselves and oh woe is me and, and you know gloom, despair and agony on me and, and we focus on the worst, but at the same time we're quick to grab for our entitlements. You see this one who thought he was no value, he he, he didn't value himself and didn't value his position, still was quick to go to the Father and say, give me my portion. Isn't it funny how we focus on that? We say, life is so hard. Boy, this is the, this is the, the generation and the time in which we live in. Life is so hard, woe is me. Oh, I have things so rough, but give me what I deserve. Literally, out of both sides of our mouth, we're talking about how rough it is and how tough it is to live and survive today. But then on the other side of our mouth, we're saying, give me what, the the government needs to give me what I deserve. The government needs to give me what is entitled to me. Uh, and this mentality is rampant. But you see, if you would go on and down, and I'm not going to get here today, so it's we can go ahead and jump. But if you were to look at verse number 31 in this passage of scripture, you would see something. The father says something interesting to the other son. He says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Now, there's something powerful in that. If you if you were to look on, he was talking to his other son in verse number 31. And he said to his other son, he said, all that I have is yours. Now, the son was whining about how he, his brother came back. He had already squandered away everything. We're not going to go there today. But the, but, but the father went back to him and said, don't you understand that everything that I have is yours? This is the father's mentality. Everything that I have is available to you. The son was saying, why didn't you throw? any parties for me. We never killed the fatted calf for me. We never had a celebration for me. And he said I don't know if you understand this or not but everything in my kingdom is yours. You could do. We could have a celebration every day if that's what you want to do. Because everything that I have is yours. And this is the same mentality that the father had for the younger son. Because the, I, I believe that this is a picture that Jesus was laying out not of an earthly father. Not of a succession that works in history but of the succession that works in God's economy and God's lineage. When he said, you are my son and you are my daughter and there is no no higher or lower, but everything that I have is accessible to you. He was consumed with getting his portion when really everything that the father had was his. Everything. Everything. Isn't this us sometimes? We're so consumed with getting what we think we deserve. We get get consumed with uh, getting everything that even God has for us. I want everything you have for me, God. How many of you all have ever prayed that prayer? Am I the only one? You go up to the altar and, God, give me everything that you have for me. I've even heard evangelists pray over people. God, give them everything that you've had for them. Give them everything that you've got for them. We get in that that microwave mentality. God, I need you to set me up with everything. Everything that I deserve and everything that belongs to me right now. And God is saying, I don't think your body can, un- can handle what is really your portion. Because everything that I have, all power in heaven and earth, I can give to you through the power of the Holy Ghost. And so uh, that's actually kind of a, a, an ironic thing for us to pray. When really we cannot receive everything that is our portion according to God. We're consumed with getting it, though, God. We're always praying, God, take me to the next level, God, take me to this next place, God. Just, just, just. I, I need my portion, God. I need my. And many of us, we even get in this mentality today, where we need our double portion. Lord, you have allowed the enemy to hold up my portion long enough. Now, I'm charging. I'm charging some interest on this. I'm gonna need you to give me my double portion now, God. And He's saying, You can't handle the first portion. Why would I give you a double portion? Your body and your flesh are not ready to handle the one portion, much less the two portion. But we get uh, caught up in ourselves and we're saying, give me my portion. Give me what's mine. And we, we always, you know, I, I go off on tangents all the time. Or at least sometimes, some people would say all the time. But but I go, you know, and I talk a little bit about Millennials. And we talk about the millennial, you know, the ideas of the millennial. But the reality is we could all throw a millennial under the bus right now and say, well, I'm talking about them. But the reality is in the spirit, I'm talking about everyone. Because we have all been guilty of saying, God, I'm ready to go to the next level when God is really the discerner of who's ready to go to the next place. God God knows better than you know if you're ready to go to the next place or not. And you know what's funny is we, we always think we're ready. We're always, we always think we've just got it all together when God is the ultimate discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And he's able to look inside of you and say, Nope, you're not ready. You're not ready for even the next portion, much less all of your portion. But you see, if the devil can get you to focus on your portion, he can start a vicious cycle. He can, if he can do that, If the devil can get you to to go after your portion, the very term portion evaluates or values what belongs to you. Let me say it like this The, the term portion values who you are. When we go to God and we begin to say, I want my portion all of a sudden we have placed a value on ourselves. We have said, God, I determine that I have X amount of portion and I'm going to need you to give me that portion. You see, the problem is not even in asking for the portion as much as it is thinking that you can be defined by a portion when God said that you are the most precious thing he's ever created, when God said that everything that I have is available to you, why do we get ourselves in a position where we think that we need to say, God, give me my portion, give me my portion. I've come to tell you that I believe it's the voice of the enemy sometimes saying, God, telling you to say, God, give me this, give me this, give me this, because this values who I am. And if the devil can get you to value who you are, he can begin to devalue who you are if we weren't worried about our portion, but we understood all of God's as ours, then all of a sudden he couldn't devalue what is God's. He couldn't devalue us. But the, the enemy, the first step he does with a prodigal, you see, it was the younger son. He, he didn't have all the worth that the older son had. He didn't have anything to look to the future. In. And so he said, he, the enemy began to speak to him and say, give me what is my value. And the enemy said, if I can get him to put a value on himself, I can begin to devalue him, and I need you to understand that you're in a dangerous place when you start placing a value on yourself. I, I, I worked in the workplace for several years, and I remember my dad saying a lot growing up. He would say, he would say, uh, what, what, what was it? I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. Like if I paid you what you thought you were worth, I'd be I'd be broke because he, he had a value. That he that he placed on me, love you, Dad. But I had a different value that I placed on me, and I can't remember. Some somebody probably knows the cliche. But if I but if I paid you what you were worth and something else, and it makes sense, sold you for what you thought you were worth, and you know there's some analogy there and some wisdom that somebody like Blake has. And um, but 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 the point is, we value, we place a value. On ourselves. And then the enemy can begin to devalue. Us. So the so the son. He goes and. The scripture says. That in verse number 13. It says. That after he divided it out. Not many days after. The younger son gathered all that he had. And. He went on a journey. And he wasted his. Possessions. You see the moment that we begin to take what God gave us as a blessing and use it for our own good, it becomes wasted. You see, God is the Father. For those of you who weren't aware, blew your mind. God is the Father in this. I love what Caleb just did. He went... He just had a major epiphany. But God is the Father and and He... When, when we take what is given to us as blessing and begin to use it for our own good, it becomes wasted. Because every blessing that God gives for you is not for yourself, but it's for the purpose of the kingdom. And you see, when, when you have wasted your blessing, when you have wasted your blessing, let, let me look at it like this. Uh, how many singing talents have been wasted on the world? How many speaking talents have been wasted on the world? How many business talents have been wasted on and in the world? You say to yourself, oh, oh, but I want the whole world, the whole world should hear my voice. It's a great talent. Matter of fact, that's the devil in your ear going to you. Oh, you've got a beautiful, angelic voice. The world needs to hear it. Did you ever stop to think for one second the one who created you created you with that voice so that you could sing a praise to him that was angelic, that was greater praise than ever before? I believe that the giver of the gift wanted you to reciprocate that gift back to him. You may be a great businessman. You may have all of your talents. Talents. And yeah, you can use that to be the best philanthropist in the world, but I'm not worried about the philanthropy today. I'm worried about the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many times we waste our talents on the world because they're so good. I'm so tired of the mentality that things that are done in the Christian realm have to be secondary to the things that are done in the worldly realm. As if we get the offfalls of what the world doesn't like when God the creator created all things good and he gave He wants you to use the best for him. I've even heard it said over and over again in the music industry that people go into contemporary Christian music when they can't make it in pop music. So it's an off-fall. It's a secondary. And you see over and over... I'm going to go and get on a soapbox, but you see all the time these Christian artists that make a name for themselves and then they do a duet with some secular artist and then the next thing you know they're releasing this crossover album that allows them to begin to go out into the world. Why? Because Because they're... They're they're, uh, tempted by the world. They're pulled on by the world because the enemy is trying to get you to use your pearls and cast them among swine. He's trying to get you to take your blessing and throw it out into the world when he's saying, I created the blessing to come back to me. But just like the prodigals, we go out and we waste the blessing of God. Every voice, not just the lesser voice, was created to worship God. Every voice was created to speak the word of God, not just the lesser voice. I've come to tell you, I may not be the best. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm, matter of fact, I know I'm not the best speaker. But I don't care if I would have an opportunity to be a keynote speaker or a motivational speaker or a politician or whatever else that I could be in the world. I wouldn't trade the the propagation of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel for anything in the world. I have decided, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I have decided that my talents are going to be used for God. They're not going to be used to gratify myself. They're not going to be used to gratify the world, but they're going to be used to gratify God. And I wish that we could get in that mentality where we would quit wasting the blessing. I'm so tired of seeing children that grow up in the church and then they go into the secular world to sing their music. There is a disconnect. There is a problem when you take the good Christian girl who was raised the right way and the next thing you know she's a pop icon that's half-dressed. Why? Because she's taking her portion And wasting it on prodigal living. And then you know what happens? God, in all of his sovereignty, allows that just after we squander away everything, we find ourselves in the untimely famine. Now how did he know that right when he got and wasted all of his possession, there arose a severe famine in the land? Just when he had wasted everything, all of a sudden, the need came all the we, he ha, How many of you' all have ever had trouble in your younger years i 'm just going to say in my younger years in our younger years as a couple uh, we used to we used to not be the best at spending, and the next thing you know we've we've squandered away something and then we were in need, and we didn't have what we needed. Anybody else guilty of that just me i nobody taught me finances yeah, so so that 's just the truth. Um, praise God anyhow but the Lord did and um, but we find ourselves in this place where we have squandered away everything and then comes the famine now symbolically with us talking about the blessing and using our talents for God, but then if we don't use them, we squander them away and we waste them. If you look at this in that same connotation, then all of a sudden it leaves us with this with this idea that we maybe shouldn't use up the blessing too soon. Maybe we shouldn't use up our talents too soon many of you are wondering this morning why hasn't god begun to let your talent come forth yet you know that you've got talents inside of you you know you've got giftings and callings and abilities inside of you and you're saying why is it that god will not allow me to be able to go out and do what he's called me to do why is it that i'm not stepping in to my promise yet why is it i am not stepping in to my calling yet could it be that god sees a famine coming Could it be that you are positioned and designed to do something for a specific time that God knows something is on its way and he needs a man to speak into it I was talking with a preacher just this week and he said that he's been in Springfield for 21 years and he heard the voice of the Lord 21 years ago saying that there would be a fire and a revival that would come to Springfield now it was I thought it was kind of coincidental that two years ago the Lord spoke to me and said that I'm going to send you to a place and I'm going to send you to a people and it's going to be a long road, to hole but you're going to cultivate a revival in people and it won't happen overnight and it's not going to be a short-lived thing because you're going to cultivate revival in them and as I begin to share with him he said, could it be that now 19 years after I have been here and plowing ground that God is finally positioning another person that desires to see the revival fires of the Holy Ghost burn in Springfield again and then just days later I met with another pastor who said we're like minded and we're believing God for a Holy Ghost move in Springfield could it be that if I would have squandered away the giftings that are inside of me I would have missed this time which is now where we're in a famine and I need you to understand me church we are in the time of a famine right now and the scripture even lays it out it says that there was a famine but it wasn't a food it was a famine of the word of God there is no revelatory, uh, revel- revelatory truth being spread throughout the land. And I've come to tell you that that, that that in my own life, I know this to be true. I ask God so many times, God, why? Why haven't you put me forward yet? Why is it that I haven't had my time yet? Why is it that I haven't had that unction down in me to even preach yet? Why is it that things aren't going? And when will it be my time? And I, I, Many of you have heard this story, but when I was 19 years old, the Lord called me and he said, I'm calling you to preach the gospel and he gave me a vision for it. And I went home and I told my wife and I told my dad and and we told another pastor and we were telling everybody because the Lord had called me and I expected that the next day I would be, you know, on television and that I would be preaching the gospel because I had valued myself you know, and and I, I had a value that I had placed on me but God said, no, it's not your time yet and it took 13 years before I was sitting in a service and God said, now it's time I heard the voice of the Lord so clear Only one phrase, now it's time. And I knew instantly my mind went back 13 years. That 13 years of preparation, 13 years of leading worship, 13 years of of being a youth pastor, 13 years of studying the scriptures, 13 years of prayer, 13 years of, of wrestling with the Lord over what was happening in my life. But I'm so glad that I didn't get ahead of God. I'm so glad that he was reserving me for this current time because he has a time for such a time as this. And many of you don't understand that you're squandering away what is your blessing when there's a famine coming and God is wanting to use you in a way to be a blessing in a famine. You know, then, then the, the prodigal, he goes a little further, and he understands, he, he has the epiphany moment, like Caleb did just a second ago. He has the epiphany moment when he says this to himself, even the worst is better than this. Go on to verse 15. Daniel, let's read through that. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, which just means that he sold himself into slavery. He sold himself to be, a, to be a worker for a citizen. And then that citizen, that, that slave boss, sent him into the field to feed the swine. says, here's your job, go. And he would have gladly put in his stomach the things that he was feeding to the swine, but no one would give him anything. Verse number 17, he has an epiphany. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? He allowed, listen, here's the epiphany moment. He allowed the devil to determine his worth, his worth. And then he lessened that worth over and over and over again until he found himself in the swine bin. He found himself with the lowest of low and he had sold himself into slavery. And many of you even say, I can't imagine being in the place where you would sell yourself into slavery. I can't imagine being low enough that you would do this or you would do that. I can't believe that you would get to a place. I can't even see myself. That's so unimaginable to think that I could ever get to that place. But I'm telling you, like the old time preacher said, sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay and it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. I've come to tell you this morning that if God, if you allow yourself to be caught up in sin and you allow yourself to be valued by the devil, then all of a sudden he will lessen that value and you will find yourself doing things you said you would never do every time as a young boy i remember waking up in a pile in a in a in a pool of my own puke great picture huh? i was i was 19 years old 18 years old and i remember waking up there and looking around and not knowing where i was where am i how did i get here it smells bad. And I had a, an epiphany. I'm not made for this. This is not who I am. I can't believe I've let myself get to a place where I end up waking up in places I don't even know how I got there. How did I ever get to a place where I would wake up and not know the people that are around me? when I would wake up and look around and I would be in some single wide trailer with the walls stripped out of it that had been used for who knows what and who knows where with no electricity and how did I get here? Because of sin. (laughs) And then I had an epiphany. I'm better than this. Because even the worst in the father's house is better than this. If God would just let me be a slave then I could at least eat and have what I need. Even my father's slaves are treated better than this. Even my father's servants have bread to spare, but I perish with hunger. Even the worst in my father's house is better than this place I'm living you know what's funny is all I've I, I got to talk to the backsliders for just a moment. I'm getting ready to close. i got to talk to the backslider for just a moment. Every time you backslide, every time you go into the world again because, you, because the devil places in your mind how good and how wonderful sin is, how fun sin is, how great it is to go to the bar and hang out with the people and, and drink your, your beer and the next thing you know, The beer has caused you to lose awareness and uh, inhibition. And you are doing the next drug. And you're doing the next drug. I used to tell people, I don't do drugs. But if you'd get me drunk, I'd take anything you gave me. And the next thing you know. I'm not glorifying sin today. I hope you understand that. The next thing you know, you find yourself... In a place where you're the lowest of the low. And sin will always take you there. Every time. And then you find yourself in this place where you're crying out for help. But the addiction's so strong you, you almost can't even help yourself. You need a miracle. You need God to come through. And he had this epiphany. He said, if I could just go back to the father's house. Then I could be a slave. And that would be good enough. I wrote something in my notes that I thought was kind of kind of challenging. That even the worst... I, I, wrote, I'm, I don't want to read it exactly how I wrote it. But even the worst is better than the place I'm at. And, and I would... This is what I wrote in my notes. I would that every person who was coming to salvation in Jesus would get to this place. Would get to this place why well you 're saying paul that 's harsh, why would you want someone to get to the absolute lowest of low? Why would you want someone to get to that place? because my fear is that so many people don 't understand the reality of who they are until they get to the lowest place where they could be. The problem is that that we come to the table of God and we want the food of God but we're still half full of the world's food we don't really have a hunger but I wish that everybody who was coming to the salvation knowledge of Christ would come in a way that says if I could just be a slave if you could just make me a servant I don't don't need title, I don't need position I don't need to be a preacher if I could just go sit on the back row of a pew somewhere and worship you and be in the provision of your grace and be in the provision of your mercy if I could just get into your kingdom I'll be the lowest make me a pauper God but let me in. Let me let me say. I, I love them, I love what the, the woman, woman said of her child. she was trying to get her child delivered, and Jesus said jesus said the the, the, the table's not fit for the dogs, and she said, "Yea, though uh, yea, Lord, but the dogs eat of the crumbs of the master's table." She said, "I don't need the great meal, I don't need any of the I just need the crumbs. If we could get to that place, the problem is we never get to that place." We get, we've got just enough of the world in us when we come to God that we still wonder if we should go back. But we've got to come to this place where we say, the world has nothing to offer me. The world has nothing that I would want to turn back to. I never want to find myself in the position where I wake up and don't know where I am again. So God, if you'll allow me to be a servant, a slave, I'll go and I'll I'll do that. Just whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll, I'll I'll listen, I'll obey, I'll do whatever you've said. Just let me in your grace again. So many of us, we miss out. I believe that's why people have such a problem with backsliding today. It's because we come to God and we think we're starving for the things of God, but the reality is we just ate what the world had to offer. And we're half full. No wonder we can't live it. But the good news is that I'm saying to you that if you find yourself in a prodigal prodigal position, you're just in the right place for God to begin to do mighty things in you. And look what happens in the scripture as I'm getting ready to close. It says, as he began to make his journey back to the Father... He said, "I'll arise and go to my father." Go to verse nineteen. Go, go on twenty. It says, "And he arose and he came to his father, but the father was still, uh, but, but he was still a great way off, and his father saw him." You know what that tells me? It tells me that God is looking for you. God is looking for the prodigal. God is looking. your sons and your daughters brother Tom God's looking for your children God's looking out for them he's he's watching anxiously waiting for them to come over the horizon he didn't make him go all the way the Bible says that while he was still a great way off the father saw him and was compassionate and ran to him You see, we make God out to be this tyrant God who's waiting on us just at every opportunity to punish us for our mistakes. But nothing could be further from the truth. He's really the Father that says, I hate that they left. I wish they'd return. And I'm looking for their return. How many of us are looking toward God? We're not as good as the Father is because if we were, we'd be looking to the eastern sky every day. But the reality is God is better than we are. And he is always looking, saying, if they'll just return, I know that they'll come back. If they, I know that they'll come back. There's something inside of them that I have placed. The seeds that I've put in them are not void. My word won't return void. And so I know they're coming. And I'm going to watch. And I'm going to watch for them. And he does more than watch. He says, when I see them, I'm going to meet them halfway. I'm going to walk out to them. I'm going to run out to them. You know, this is the only place in the scripture where the father runs. I love there's an old, there's an old song I can't remember exactly who it was by, but it said when God ran. When God ran, he ran to me. Put me in his arms. He ran when God ran. He wants to run to you today. I don't know if the son felt in a position that he could run. I have it in my mind that the son was probably broken down. He was malnourished, no doubt. And he was doing everything he could to get back to the father. Josiah, be an actor for me. And just slowly make your way as if you were malnourished. I'm going to go farther away you're not going slow enough this is not what God did I'm borrowing this God, God the father sees the son saying there's my son the one that was dead and he runs the, the son can't run but the father runs And he meets him. And it says that he falls on his neck and embraces him. And the son looks to his father. Now this is repentance. It says the the son looks to the father and he says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice the next verse. The father didn't say, yes you have. The father didn't say, it's okay. The father didn't say, now what are we going to do? He didn't begin to deliberate on what the next step was. It was almost as if he ignored his plea because he saw his son return. He knew what his son was saying by every step that he was taking back. He didn't need to hear even what the son had to say. He it was as if he ignored the words because the actions spoke louder. But he said to the servant Bring out the best robe. And he clothed him. And he said, Get the ring. I wish I could take my ring off. I don't think it'll come. It's not going to come off. His comes off. He gets out the ring and he says, Put a ring on his finger. he says let me put some sandals on your feet and he gets down in the same position that Jesus got down with the disciples to wash their feet and he says let me fix where you've been and put something on your feet you've been walking barefoot on your own let me clothe you And he said, bring out the fatted calf, and let's have a celebration. Thank you, Josiah. You see, the robe is a symbol of royalty. The robe says, you came willing to be a slave, willing to be a servant, but you're my son. I'm glad that you came with humility, but that's not your role. You're royalty. And I'm going to place the robe of royalty, the best robe. He didn't didn't say, I'll give you the robe that's secondary to my robe. He didn't say, I'll give you the one that is just underneath your older brother's robe. He said, let me get you the best robe. Because I want to show you that I want to give you the best of what I have. He instantly went from a pauper to a prince. He instantly found himself back in provision. I dare say that he found himself at a higher stature than when he left in the first place. Because for the first time he understood that everything the father has is mine. The ring was a a symbol of sonship. Sons in a kingdom would wear the ring with an insignia of the family crest to let people know what family they were a part of. And he was saying to his son, You don't have to be a slave. I've called you my son. Now listen, I am not against us being the servants of God, but he also says we've got the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba Father. That we're obedient sons and daughters. And so we do the work that the Father tells us to do in in submission to Him, in obedience to Him. But He put a ring on His finger and He said, You're my son. Sonship, not servanthood. Not Not just servanthood, but sonship. And the sandals were a symbol of renewal. That no matter where your feet have gone, they just led you back home and now I'll make all things new and the celebration was a symbol of what heaven is doing every time one lost sinner comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ all of heaven is stopped and the angels begin to rejoice because the son or daughter that was dead has just come home This morning I've come to tell you that you may have prodigals out there. You may have people that are lost whether they be your sons or daughters or relatives or friends. But they're in prodigal living. And God is saying this morning that when they come, I'm looking. I'm watching. I'm waiting. And I will run to them. And I will change every aspect of their life. Stand to your feet with me in this place this morning. This morning, many of you are believing God for the salvation of someone. Someone who is a prodigal. And this morning, I want to begin praying, first and foremost, with you for those of you who are believing for a prodigal in this house. I know it's a little bit out of order to the norm but I want to I want to do it like this this morning because I believe that we need to be praying the prayer of faith as a family over these prodigals. If you're in this place this morning and you say I have a I don't. It doesn't have. It doesn't. It can be a son or a daughter or a family member. It could be a dad. It could be a sister or a brother or a cousin. Or it just could be your friend. But you say, "I am believing God for a prodigal." I'm believing God for the, for this person to come back to Him, or to come to Him in the first place. If you're here and that's you this morning, I want you to get out of your seat and come with me so we can pray together in these altars i'm not going to keep you long i understand it's 12 o'clock i won't keep you long today but we can't go through this message of the prodigals and not reach out to god on on behalf of uh, on behalf of them reaching into heaven and saying god send them in bring them in I, i i heard it put like this when i was a young when i was a young adult A preacher said, God has a ways and means committee like you've never seen. God has the ability. Listen to me. God will not go against your will. He will leave you choice. But don't believe for a second that God cannot create circumstances around you that will help to guide you to the right decision." We're not smart on the uptakes sometimes. And I know, uh, for me, I know that God has had to create many a situation for me to humble myself and get back to the place where I need to be. And this morning, I want to challenge every one of us that are believing for the prodigals. We've heard this many, many times. But here's where our faith needs to be. Our faith needs to be in the God who can move mountains to begin to move mountains in their way to keep them from going toward the world any longer and to create manufacture a situation that would bring them toward the father again but you know what that means what we're asking for and I know we've to- many of you have heard this but we're literally asking for God to take them to the place that this prodigal was to the lowest of lows Where they would say, if I could just be a pauper in the house of God, I'll be satisfied. And that's a hard thing to see our loved ones go through. But to the glory of God, even so, let it happen, Lord.